Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Thank you for reading and doing so with such a wonderful accent. Um, (laughs) It's great to be back. Uh, If you were with us last week, you'll remember that Exodus chapter 1 laid out for us what seemed to be a fairly hopeless situation for God's people. Things were very dark. It was difficult. Life under Pharaoh's dictatorship was terrible. He had instituted a regime of slavery and infanticide. And when you read chapter 1, it appears that he is so powerful, so strong, so in control of everything, and God's people are so ordinary and so weak and so faltering. And so the questions come. You ask yourself, what is God doing? Can God be trusted in a situation like this? Is there any hope? And of course, these are questions we all ask in one form or other when life gets difficult, particularly when as Christians, life gets difficult, when the Christian life is tough. Is there any hope? So let's go back to the story as we pick it up in chapter 2 and see if there are any answers. Now we're down beside the Nile River as we pick things up in verse 1. We're at the water's edge and we're drawn to this lady, this heartbroken lady who's putting her little baby in this lovingly prepared basket made of bulrushes and then setting the baby out into the water. Because Pharaoh has been going around killing newborn Israelite boys, the mother has tried to hide him, but we're told he's three months old now and it's difficult to hide a three-month-old child whether it's because he's got so big or whether it's because of the crying we don't know but here we are we're in this situation and it's difficult it's painful it's agonizing she's putting her son in this little basket made of reeds and she's putting him among the reeds but what we need to see is that she's doing this in faith both she and look verse four if you will the boy's sister anxiously looking on from the side of the river They're trusting that God is going to intervene. She's wrapped this boy up in the basket and put him in and is leaving him to God. She's sending, if you like, it's her three-month-old child. She's sending her heart out into the river. Just all of that there in that little basket. And all she can do is trust God. But our focus isn't primarily on the mother. The story, the way it is written, is designed to draw our attention to what God is doing in all of this and the thing that we need to see the headline for this section is that in all of this God is providing a savior God is providing 
a savior. That's why we get the details about the basket in verse three. Can you see? But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Now that sounds a lot like something that's happened much earlier in the Bible story. It sounds a lot like what happened with Noah and what he did with the outside of the ark. In fact, the word used here for basket in Hebrew is only used twice in the Old Testament. It is the same word that is translated ark back in the story of Noah and that it's only here and there that that's used in the flood narrative and here. And that's not a coincidence. It is telling us that what will happen here with this little insignificant, seemingly insignificant, weak and feeble situation with this little baby in the basket is just like what happened with Noah and the flood. God is saving his man through the waters of death in order that he can bring salvation to others. It's a remarkable thing. And so hope springs. There is hope. God is going to rescue his people through all the pain and suffering, through all the hardship and weakness. God is not absent as initially it may appear. He is acting to save his people and he will in the end triumph over evil. So although everything looks really weak and uncertain, one author has written, God's entire plan for triumphing over evil was riding down the river in this little papyrus basket. It looks so weak. It looks so uncertain. It doesn't feel like earth-shaking things are about to happen, does it? And yet we see the hand of God at every turn. That's what I want to show in our time together now. God's fingerprints are everywhere. The seemingly ordinary narrative is really all about the hidden work of God the unseen hand of the Almighty at work. So let's see. First of all, we see it with Moses. So right from the start, we're told before he was born, verse 1, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant, gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. At a time when it was risky to have children, because there was always the danger that they were going to be killed by the state, Moses' parents dared to obey God. And God knit this child together in his mother's womb. And then God also protected Moses. And he's protecting him as he goes out into the Nile. His mother would have taken every care possible to wrap him up and make him as safe as he could. But in the end, it is God who will protect him. It is God who will ensure that he gets to where he needs to be on the other part of the riverbank. Then there's Pharaoh's daughter as well. Verse 5, can you see over the, over the page? Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Now, why did she choose to bathe at this point in the river? When she saw that the boy was a Hebrew child, she knew what her father was up to. Uh, in, his, in his, uh, his regime, why did she feel compassion for this, this, this little one? Why did she not just throw him in the river? Why did she defy her father's orders? Why? Why? Well, because God is at work. God is at work in the hidden places of her heart. If you've been standing on the, on the side of the river, if you've been watching on as uh, Moses' sister was, it would have looked really like a whole lot of coincidences. Oh, that's, that's lucky. Oh, that's lucky. Oh, right. 
It all seems to be just these coincidences going together. And you can imagine Pharaoh's daughter coming in in the evening and recounting the story of her day. How was your day? Well, it's interesting you say that. I went down to bathe and I found this baby in a basket. It was a Hebrew boy. Oh, he was lovely. He's lucky my sister didn't find him. She's more of a daddy's girl than me. She probably way more cold-hearted than I am. I just, I just loved him. I just thought he was so sweet. And so I persuaded Dad and... Well, as luck would have it, Dad said it was okay, and so we've taken him in. As luck would have it, no. God is at work in all of the details. And it's the same with Moses' sister. She watches Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's daughter take the child. Uh, she's on the bank. It must have been very tense. How's it going to go? What's going to happen? Would, would they just take him out of the basket, throw him in the river, as, as Pharaoh had suggested? commanded that everybody would do what would they do well she can't wait so look at verse 7 she steps in uh, shall i go and get one of the hebrew women to nurse the baby for you yes go she answered so the girl went and got the baby's mother pharaoh's daughter said to her take this baby and nurse him for me and i will pay you so the woman took the baby and nursed him god led moses sister to step in with an idea he moved in Pharaoh's daughter to go with the plan. He brought Moses' mother into the frame. He ensured that Pharaoh's daughter agreed that she was a suitable uh, lady to care for this baby. And he added some special grace. Almost, you, can, uh, you have to smile as you read it. Out of Pharaoh's coffer, she gets paid to raise her own son. God is raising up a saviour. And Acts chapter 7, later in the New Testament, tells us that this one would be uh, he would be raised with the influence and the authority required to accomplish God's plan. In all the comings and goings, in all the uncertainty, in all of the chances and coincidences. No. God is at work and he's at work in extraordinary ways. What we need to see is it's exactly the same today. It is easy to look around at the culture. It's easy to look around at the church and be fearful. It feels so uncertain on the one hand, it feels so weak on the other. There's lots of pessimism where I live as I, as I go around. The people that talk to me in our, in our community are very pessimistic about our culture. Very negative. Lots of hopelessness. And there's lots of cynicism and lots of hostility around about Christianity in our day. In some ways, it all feels very fragile. The question, if you were with us last week in Exodus 1, when we get to the end, is, are God's people even going to make it here? And we're tempted to wonder the same today. Will there be a church? Will there be a church in London for our grandchildren? I wonder. Well, you don't need to wonder for too long, because when you have the eyes to see the hidden hand of God at work, when you have the eyes of faith, you can see that God is at work. He's turning people's hearts to trust him. For all of the opposition, plenty of people are seeing the empty promises of secularism of our day, the empty promises of many of the other ideolo ideologies of our day, and when they see that, they're turning to Jesus. But no one does this of their own accord. Yes, of course, when someone comes to Christ, they make a decision to do that. But the willingness to make that decision, it all comes from God. In the hidden places of our hearts. It is God who is at work. He grants new life. In the quietness of our thoughts. He gives conviction of sin. 
And he gives us a desire to repent and believe in his son. You make the decision. Yes, but the impetus has come from God. He is at work in our lives in hidden ways. If you're here today and you feel that desire, if you're drawn to Christ's offer of forgiveness of new life, that instinct, that interest, that desire, that has come from God. And may I say, he won't actually let you rest until you put your faith in Jesus. If God is calling you, it is always futile to resist him. And where people do this, where people do put their faith in Jesus Christ, and if you're a Christian, as I assume most of you are, you will have done this. You will have experienced this at some point. The hidden work of God that draws you to Jesus to put your faith in him. Of course, we also see God at work in the decisions that we make to walk away from sin. When we've come to the conclusion that we're actually leading a double life, we're a Christian on a Sunday, we go along, we say the right things, we pray the right prayers, as it were, we behave in a particular way in that context, but then the rest of the week, our lives are no different from anybody else around us. When we know that we've been nursing, coddling particular sins, and then we decide that enough's enough, and we turn our back, we walk away, we repent, and we genuinely move on from them. That decision, that desire, that determination, all of it comes from God. He is the one who does that in us. Like all that's happening in Exodus chapter 2, it's often very ordinary. It's often very unimpressive. It's often just very much step by step in the small and ordinary and the mundane things of our life. But yet that is how God works. God is at work in the ordinary because the ordinary for most of us is where we live. And he's at work in our lives and he's accomplishing his extraordinary plans to save his people. So we must thank him. Our lives must be marked by gratitude for all of this. But of course, with that gratitude, we must recognize that our great confidence, our great confidence in difficult times, our great confidence when following God is tough, is ultimately found in knowing that Moses is not the ultimate savior. Moses' life, his birth, his life, his leadership, they were remarkable. Moses would rescue the people from the tyranny of Pharaoh. He would lead them out through the Exodus in remarkable and miraculous ways. But in the end, the people needed more than the leadership that Moses could provide. And so do we. We need more than that. We need a Savior who will redeem us from evil. A Savior who will redeem us from our sin. And that's what we have, actually. Because years after Moses, centuries after Moses, another boy was born. Another boy born in extraordinary circumstances. He was born to a virgin in Bethlehem. He was born under the sentence of death as another king passed another edict to kill all the boys born in that time. But he was born in the purposes of God to live the life that we should have lived but didn't. And to die the death that we deserved in our place. And then to rise again three days later in victory, defeating death once and for all 
defeating Satan once and for all and guaranteeing salvation for all who would put their faith in him. Jesus Christ is the saviour that we need. Jesus Christ is the saviour who enables us to face an uncertain world with hope. And you'll know that if you have put your faith in him, you have hope. Maybe today you need to be reminded of that. Isn't it easy in the cut and thrust of life that when the pressure comes, we lose sight of the reality of Christ's salvation and the significance of his work in our lives? You know, because even in the toughest times, Jesus has promised to never leave you, to never forsake you. Jesus has promised that he will build his church such that the gates of hell will not prevail. The, the, the gates, the boundaries of hell that are seeking to advance against Christ's kingdom, they won't win because Christ has triumphed. So he is the one that we must trust. And we must trust him. We must trust him the way that a desperate mother once trusted when she put her boy in a basket, hoping solely in the God who saves. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is our Savior, the one in whom, if we trust, we have assurance and hope no matter what our circumstances, no matter how hard it is, because he is the one who enables us and who guides us and who strengthens us. We praise you for him in his strong name. Amen.